You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's windrows they have the men's windrows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out this week on pro talk outdoors we are joined by indiana lead state deer biologist joe caudell Be sure to tune in during our first break for a very important updated information release by the Indiana DNR regarding the antlerless quota for this season. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. get the pilot of Red Arrow going. This is really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there entertain us. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukowski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz with Train Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey everybody, Pro Talk Outdoors. We're getting closer and closer to the opening of deer season in Indiana. Uh, Kentucky's right around the corner, even closer than that. And uh, we're going to focus a little bit today, though, on the Hoosier State, where we're from, and uh, what's been an unfortunate outbreak of EHD. So we'll talk a little bit in the next segment about what that is. And I know you've probably heard that at least a half dozen times on our show at uh, various points yeah, throughout we, the years. Yeah, we've been talking about it quite a bit lately. But yeah. but it's uh, it's a serious thing. I mean, there's some states that, that report really high percentages of their herd get eliminated by it, and uh, we want to talk directly to you know somebody with the Department of Natural Resources to really give us concrete, hard facts, uh, not anything speculative, 
that you're going to find online. Uh, no wives' tales, no uh, telephone game where the truth gets stretched, nothing but cold, hard facts and uh, how you can adjust and keep track of it. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. You know, I know that 2012 was a rough year in our area, not our local area, in our state. You know, it, it affected Illinois, it affected some other states. But honestly, JP, in our area where we hunt in the, you know, kind of south-central Indiana, uh, the counties that we're hunting in, I've been I've been at this for for 30 years now, and and we have not had an impact like this from EHD. I'm I'm sure we've lost some deer, you know, periodically, you know, here and there, but it's not been widespread like this. And this is, uh, you know, selfishly, this is something that we haven't had to deal with. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a culture shock a little bit. It is, and I I think it's worth talking about. Uh, and and it's not just you and I going over conjecture and and opinions. Uh, we're talking with somebody that knows their stuff and is the you know kind of at the crux of making decisions on how to react to this so uh, i don't think we need to give it any more lip service and we need to get straight to the cold hard facts like we said we'll be back you're listening to pro talk outdoors hey folks before we bring joe on uh this is a an update here that we were waiting on before we released this podcast just recently, after reviewing the amount of cases uh, with uh, the EHD outbreak in southern Indiana and across the state of Indiana, uh, the DNR, and credit to them, doing a fantastic job keeping their uh, finger on the pulse of the situation, has went in and lowered the antlerless quota uh, for the state of Indiana. That information is being released now, but just as an example, some of the states in the southern, or some of the counties in the southern part of the state that were a four, uh, a four county uh, quota as far as or four deer quota in each county is now down to two. Um, a lot of the other regulations remain the same. However, the numbers have gone down. Please be sure to get online, go to your DNR website, and check that out. Those quotas have gone down uh, before the. Uh, the October archery season opens up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this science and uh, Department of Natural Resources-focused episode of Pro Talk Outdoors. And uh, we try not to, to be too big of homers. I mean, obviously, I think a big part of our listening base is in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, we, we tend to cater to that a little bit, but we try to provide something for the masses when we can. But admittedly, this episode is... Well, it's about us, and it's about <laughs> it's about what's happening here around home in, in southern Indiana. And I know it's stretching into Illinois as well, but uh, we've got Mr. Joe Condell of uh, the Department of Natural Resources with the state of Indiana on with us. And, and Joe, you were gracious enough to come on and, and talk to us about a, a black bear a couple years ago that was roaming around. And now we've got to talk about something a bit more unfortunate than that, and uh the EHD outbreak in Indiana, and obviously I know you can probably only share so much, but uh, what are your first thoughts about this outbreak in Indiana, and, and how severe do you think it ultimately is going to be? Yeah, well, it's hard to predict how severe it's going to be because that just depends on, you know, what the weather's doing and, you know, how great we are at predicting the weather. Uh, it also depends upon... Um, when our first frost is, which I guess is also the weather. So, again, a lot of it's going to depend on that. Um, what we're seeing now uh, doesn't look quite as maybe as severe as it was in 2012. Uh, we are getting reports, and they are fairly extensive around the state. 
but um, yeah, we I mean we've got some pockets that are probably a little bit harder hit than others, but we aren't just seeing like you know lots and lots of deer, or lots and lots of reports coming in just from like uh, uh, very localized areas. Well, okay, let's back up just a little bit and and explain to the folks what exactly EHD is. Uh, yeah. And and you know, and I know there's a lot of misconception out there, and they can they confuse that with CWD, and um, you yes. know, people talk about blue tongue, and kind of walk us through what the differences in those diseases are. Yeah, so EHD is uh, epizootic hemorrhagic disease. And it's a virus, and it's actually very closely related to the blue tongue virus. And that's why both of those diseases actually wind up looking the same in uh, animals. So, like, cattle mostly get blue tongue virus, and deer mostly get EHD. And so some of the symptoms are that the animals... uh, essentially are are bleeding internally. So it's a hemorrhagic disease, and that's kind of what that means. And when this is going on, they also wind up with a very high fever, which makes them, you know, disoriented, just like, you know, when when we get really, really high fevers, we don't feel good, we're hot, we're trying to cool off, and, uh, and this leads to the animal being disoriented. So a lot of people see these animals sometimes just circling or staring off into space and not responding like a normal deer does. And so both of those diseases do a very similar thing, except you typically see EHD more commonly in deer and blue tongue more commonly in cattle. Although because of that classic sign of the deer having a blue tongue, uh, a lot of people call EHD blue tongue as well. So I I know how we you know how the deer con, uh, contract the EHD. How does how does blue tongue uh, get uh, in the cattle or in the deer herd if it gets into the deer herd? I think it's pretty much the same way. I think both of these are transmitted by uh, midges, uh, and so you know it's, it's probably the exact same thing with cattle. I don't uh, can't speak too much to uh, blue tongue. But yeah, with EHD, it's transmitted by uh, a biting midge, which a lot of people call noceums. And what it's doing is, as that midge is taking a blood meal and then it goes to feed on another deer, it's transmitting that virus. And so that's the way that virus actually gets transmitted from deer to deer. And so in an event like a drought, where you have very few sources of water, and that's, of course, where the midges breed. So the midges like to breed in very, very shallow pools of water or at the edge of a body of water. They won't breed out like when it's real deep or when it's flowing fast. But in these little shallow pools, when the deer are coming up to get a drink of water or cool off, basically they are coming into contact with these midges. And in a drought, you, you really draw all the deer together. And then that's why you get... Uh, a lot bigger event when we have a drought. It's just that more deer are coming together where the midges are. Sure. So now tying this back in a little bit to home, uh, you know, for folks around here in, in southern Indiana or in Illinois or, or anywhere close by that's seeing what we, we are seeing, 
What are the mm-hmm. uh, most telltale signs that somebody can look forward to see deer in the herd either on a trail camera or obviously it's a lot easier when you see it in person, but is there any way they can sort of identify that and, and what should they do once they've identified one that is suffering from the virus? Yeah, so the easiest thing to, to look for are deer that are just not behaving like a normal deer. So, you know, a normal deer tend to be flighty. They're, you know, they're prey animals. They, um, if they hear a noise, you know, you see them perk up or maybe the tail flicks up and then maybe they take off depending on what's there. A deer that's suffering from EHD, especially in those later stages, typically their brain isn't functioning right and they are just not behaving normally. So you see deer just standing in water, staring off into space. Uh, We get a lot of reports of deer like this because they're standing near roads and people will pull uh, literally right up to them and the deer won't run off. So it's those kinds of abnormal behaviors that, that people typically pick up on. And so in, so what we typically try to do in, in Indiana is try to confirm it in one or two cases of deer. And we actually try to target those deer that are still alive. So we have people, they'll call them in directly into us or into the um, uh, conservation officer central dispatch and they get those folks in touch with us and if we have not sampled deer in those counties then we typically try to uh, get maybe a conservation officer or local sheriff to uh, help us out euthanize the deer and then a biologist comes out and tries to sample it once we've sampled in those counties and we start getting our confirmations back that yep it's ehd and Uh, We try to focus on those counties where we don't have a confirmation. So if people are seeing deer in these areas, one, they can go online. We've got an online reporting form. And the easiest way to access that is through our deer website, which is deer.dnr.in.gov. And they can go there and they can fill out a report. And we try to monitor those uh, throughout the day. And, And if we see a live deer that maybe it's something we want to target, then we try to get back with those people as soon as possible, find out where the deer was, what it's doing, and so forth. If the, and just one other thing, if they see a deer that's actually posing a hazard on the road, like I was saying, a lot of times these will hang out by the road, then they want to try to call law enforcement so they can come out and euthanize that deer just so it's not a hazard to other people on the road. Yeah, so, Joe, you mentioned in stages, you know, uh, these these deer that you're talking about are in the later stages is there any way to identify what the early stages are of EHD? And then also how long, I mean, because I, I know I've heard that some deer actually will live through EHD and then some don't, but is there a, a certain stage where you can kind of figure on, hey, this deer may live or this deer's definitely going to, to die due to the EHD virus? And how long does that normally take from the time that the midge bites them to when they expire? Well, it, it happens pretty rapidly. Um, I was just trying to think of what the time frame is. It's, it's, it's fairly short. So, you know, think of like 24 to 40, 48 hours. If you're seeing deer in these later stages, odds are those deer are going to die. Uh, it's just like any, any infection. You know, some people can get infected with, say, a flu virus 
and have mild symptoms, fight it off and recover, you know, very quickly. Whereas others may spend a lot more time uh, being affected by the disease, uh, maybe have to have a lot more care uh, to make sure they get through it okay. And, and with animals, it's, it's the exact same way. So some will get it, they'll fight it off and, and they'll just survive. Sometimes we actually see evidence of that during the hunting season because one of the things you can see is that their uh, hooves will kind of slough off or have evidence that they've uh, sloughed off. Just like, you know, if you think if you smash a fingernail and you get blood up underneath it, you know, that fingernail will eventually slough off and a new one will grow up underneath it. And so sometimes we see that during the hunting season and that tells us that, yep, uh, you know, a percentage of our deer are actually surviving this. But in those early stages, I mean, there's really nothing that you could see or um, key in on that really tells you whether or not that deer has been infected by EHD or not. So let's let's bring it back to numbers then. Uh, I know the last time I looked, and I think that's been probably two weeks ago, Clark County was either at the top or near the top of the list in – uh, confirmed cases in Indiana. Is that correct, or, or where do where do they rank, and and who is hit the hardest right now? Well, you know, like I said, what we do is we typically only confirm just a couple of cases, and so Clark County that was our first one. Once we got a deer from there, we uh, maybe only collected a few more uh, uh, deer from that area. But in terms of reports. Basically, what we're doing is we're seeing our greatest number of reports from those uh, counties down, you know, say the Louisville area, and maybe a little bit further west than there. And then uh, there's a little bit of a, and, that, and that's about two counties thick if you're thinking of, you know, Indiana. And then there's actually a gap that kind of runs through the middle of that. And then uh, at, at that same diagonal, if, you, if folks look at the map, they'll actually see another kind of uh, diagonal that runs, oh, yeah, probably like from Vigo County, Sullivan, which are on the Illinois line, and kind of run up at a diagonal through Putnam, Hendricks, and kind of towards uh, the Indianapolis area. Okay. Now, I was reading an article earlier this week uh, on outdoor life. It was a deer season forecast, essentially, for lack of a better term, and I think it was titled something similar to that, uh, and you were mm-hmm. actually quoted in the Indiana section of that as, uh, and it was back in July, obviously, I think before a lot of this got pretty heavy, that the population was doing really well, and I think your quote said that there was a, a buck-to-doe ratio of one to one and a half or, or something of, of that regard, mm-hmm. but you, you lauded the population this year. Uh, have your feelings changed since you were quoted in that article, and, and where do you think we're headed for this season? Well, you know, that's the interesting thing about EHD is it is related to the, the size of the population. It, it's actually one of those natural diseases that regulates population size. And so, yep, when I said that, yep, we had uh, definitely a growing population. And this is, an, you know, an unfortunate consequence sometimes of having a bigger population is these outbreaks tend to have uh, a greater effect on it. And because we, our population has been growing recently, um, you know, this will uh, typically EHD doesn't have uh, a significant long-term effect. What we may see in the short term is it may be a little bit more difficult to hunt this year. 
to uh, you know uh, get those bucks that maybe we've been watching. Uh, same thing, we might not be able to harvest as many does this year simply because they're going to be harder to hunt. But typically, EHD that the the population, the deer population actually responds by having more fawns in like the next year or two, and then a greater number of those fawns actually survive to the hunting season. That's what we call recruitment. Mm -hmm. And so deer just nor naturally respond to greater either hunting pressure or pressure from disease by having more deer. So what do you estimate is going to be the impact this season? Obviously, I know that's going to be tremendously hard for you to do, but if you were to just take a shot in the dark percentage-wise... Yeah, that's, that's just impossible. I mean, you know, right now we, we could be, um, you know, kind of still early on it, or it could be wrapping up. And so you really can't predict what impact it's going to have on the population. You can only look back and see what impact it did. Mm -hmm. And so that's typically what we do is we look back on the season. We look at all of our reports. We make some estimates. We look at our harvest. And then we just start adding all those numbers together to see what impact above the normal harvest the disease may have had. And in most cases, because we wind up shooting less deer in the hunting season, the overall impact usually isn't much greater than uh, a season maybe where we harvest a lot of deer. Joe, when, when you and I talked on the phone there, um, I don't know, I guess it was a few days ago, um, mm -hmm. we had we'd mentioned, I, you know, one of the things that I, I thought that people were pretty interested in in our area. I mean, I, I see it on social media all the time. It always comes up in the post whenever somebody puts a picture out of a, of a deer with uh, that they find that it had died from EHD or what they suspect was EHD. The antlerless harvest numbers uh, for this year, is mm -hmm. is that something that you're looking at for this season, or how, how are you weighing in uh, what these particular counties are going through right now with the EHD virus? Yeah, we, we look at those things as, as we're going through these events, and um, you know, again, what we're trying to predict is that possible effect that it may have. And so when we're looking at these, the, the best we can do is saying, okay, based on the numbers that we're seeing now, you know, should a change be made or, you know, can we consider a change? Unfortunately, you know, EHD typically happens about the time the hunting season actually comes in. And so that limits us on our ability to actually change the harvest numbers, especially once the season starts. I mean, to change the harvest numbers once the season starts, you may have people who have actually, you know, exceeded what you might change it to. And so, you know, really any change that could potentially be made, we, we try to do that as early as possible before that season uh, actually gets kicked off here in just a few weeks. Is that something you're looking at right now? Oh yeah, we look at that stuff. You know, any anytime there's a potential effect on the on the population, especially something that's you know unexpected like this. I mean, you know, we kind of expect an outbreak of VHD about every five to six years. I think this has been seven since the last outbreak. But yeah, we you know we always look at kind of at what's going on, and you know, 
have to consider the consequences of making a change with, you know, kind of how people are already planning to hunt, you know, people have bought license, you know, all those kinds of things. But yeah, we, we definitely consider those things. Would you recommend somebody that's, you know, a, at least a, a conservation-minded hunter to go out and, and make a good decision in one direction or the other, and, and I guess to, to read between the lines there, would you recommend somebody probably not shoot does this year? That all depends on where you're hunting at. So EHD isn't uniform across the landscape. Typically, and, and this is true for most diseases, you will have little pockets of the disease where the outbreak is more serious. And so we might hear from somebody who has seen four or six dead deer on their property, and we would have, you know, a, a lot of reports showing up on the map, but literally somebody just a mile down the road in the same county may not have had a single deer die from EHD. So it's always going to, and, and this is true for any deer management, irregardless of what the county bonus antlers quotas are in Indiana. Uh, you always want to look at what is going on on your individual property, whether it's, you know, an area you're managing or, you know, if you've got access, uh, you know, to a fairly large area. And you always make that decision at that local scale. And so, uh, you know, irregardless of what that quota is for that, that county, it's those hunters and managers who are going to be looking at their own property and making that decision. I, I really appreciate what you just said there because I, I tell you, it, I see it every year um, with certain groups on social media, and I'm sure you've probably seen it as well, Joe, where they people just talk about how, you know, the, maybe the state's issuing too many doe permits and we just don't need to shoot so many does. And ultimately it goes right back to the individual hunter. I mean, the one that's pulling the trigger or releasing the arrow, that's who makes that decision. Just because the state allots you to shoot four does in a county does not mean that you have to shoot four does in that county. That's right. And that's actually what we see. I mean, you know, if you look at our deer reports that we're putting out now, we actually put in there how many uh, uh, does are being shot by individual hunters. So you can actually look in the county and say, you know, oh, look, 100 hunters shot one doe and 20 hunters shot two does and maybe one or two people shot three. I didn't even know that was out there. That's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we've, we've really uh, kind of uh, beefed up some of those numbers. And really that was a request from some of our hunters is they, they wanted some of this information. And so over time, as, as uh, we've been developing these reports, we've been adding more data points, and, and a lot of them come from some of the suggestions of our hunters wanting to see different statistics and, and different numbers and so forth. And then that's actually what we use when we're setting those quotas. So when we, say, move a quota from a, let's say, a four down to a three, we can actually predict what effect that will have on the harvest. And so that's that's how we actually use those Well, I mean, numbers. it should have 25% less, right? What's that? I said that should be 25% reduction, right, just going from four to three. <laughs> if, if every hunter shot four, that would be exactly right. And it would be much easier if that was the case because then it would be a lot more accurate. But, yeah, it's this, you know, where the majority of hunters, actually in Indiana – uh, most hunters shoot one deer. It's like 70%. And then another 20% shoot 
two deer. And most time that's going to be a buck and a doe. And so from there, it's that remaining, you know, 10, 10% that are shooting the rest of it. And it's really decreasing that fast. And I, and I just find that interesting from, you know, kind of an analysis point of view that if you look in almost every county, that's how people respond to, to hunting. There's only a handful of folks out there who really want to shoot more than, you know, three deer. I don't know if you have this information or not, Joe, but I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. How many, is there, do you have any information on any particular hunter? And I don't want names, obviously, but is there <laughs> a hunter out there in the state of Indiana that's, say, shooting 10 deer, 12 deer, 20 deer, whatever? I mean, is there, can you give us a number? What's like the most deer anybody is shooting in the state of Indiana? It, I- Actually, that's in the report. <laughs> so I can, I can literally open up the report right here. If you just uh, give me a second. But yeah, there's, if, if I remember right, there were just a couple who like maybe had shot like 10 deer. And what's interesting is sometimes I like look up those individuals and I'm checking to see if that's actually an accurate report. And sometimes what I find is it looks like somebody has made an error in the reporting and maybe they hit the check-in button like two or three times and actually checked in uh, a deer a couple of times. And so we're actually always reviewing those numbers and looking for errors. But, but yeah, if you look in a deer report, uh, it actually has statewide uh, how many deer are harvested by uh, an individual hunter, and that's kind of where I got those percentages from. And so I'm actually just looking at the table now, and this is from uh, two th- the 2017 report because I don't have the 2018 one in front of me right now. But it looks like one hunter at least reported that they had shot 15 deer. Good grief. And then, yeah, and again, we might look back, and that one may be an error, or it could be a uh, one a very avid hunter, but it could be somebody who has had a lot of deer problems on their farm and are trying to you know actually control a, a, a problem. But and I think there was like maybe one who said they harvested 13 and one that harvested 12. Again, those may just be errors. But then once you get into like the nine and ten deer, that's when you get maybe like ten hunters who have done that statewide. Uh, but the percentage in terms of the harvest, it's it's not even showing up. I mean, it's just like point zero zero one or something like that. Interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. So we put all those numbers out there for folks to look through, and you know, uh, we get a lot of comments, a lot of positive comments, a lot of people appreciative that we're actually sharing that level of data now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's wonderful. Um, yeah, that and, and that's that's good information because that goes against. And here, I, I know I keep talking about social media, but man, some of that stuff just really chaps my ass whenever they talk about certain things on uh, social media. There, um, you know, like just because the state issues, you know, four doe permits in a county, and then say the surrounding counties have four, they they automatically just go to, hey, I can go and shoot twenty deer, and you know, in my, right. you know, without you know, doing anything wrong, and that's not the case. Nobody's out there doing that, really. Right, that's right. I mean, I want to see how big his family is, the guy that does that, <laughs> that can justify <laughs> taking that, you know. Yeah, anyway, that's a whole different subject there. Joe, yeah. uh, for- and, like, and like I said, I think if we probably look back on those, you know, 
probably some of those are an error. But yeah, I think once you get above the 10 mark, that's it's just getting difficult at that time. I mean, it's, that's a lot of work to shoot that many deer. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. I, you know, once my feet, my freezer's full, I don't feel like messing with it anymore, to be honest with you. No, <laughs> no. Well, Joe, so if for somebody that wants to keep track of uh, that report as well as an EHD report and uh, uh, any changes that may occur in the antlerless uh, quotas, where can they keep up with that and how can they, they follow what the state is putting out there from now till season begins and, and on through it? Yeah, so the best website is that one I mentioned before, which is deer.dnr.in for indiana.gov. Uh, one, because it's fairly easy to remember. You know, most of our websites have a big long number after the, the end of them. But if you go there, that's where we put any updates about uh, deer harvest uh, regulations. Uh, if you go there, there's actually a, a couple of links right at the very top. One of them is a report form. So if hunters are seeing dead deer out there, they can actually click on that and they can report their location, what, what they're seeing in their deer. They can say how many they've seen alive, how many they've seen dead, how many they've seen sick and so forth. And then right there at the top as well, there's a link to our epizootic hemorrhagic disease page. And then if you click on view a map of EHD in Indiana, they can actually track the uh, reports that we're we're getting in, and so from those report forms, uh, my staff and I we look at that and uh, uh, those reports that look like they may be EHD, we then transfer them to the database, which then goes in this map. So when people call me about EHD, what I do is I actually go to this map because it's actually our most up-to-date information. It's easy to read. It's got uh, how many cases have been confirmed, how many have been tested, and then just all the reports of suspected EHD. And so by far, that's going to be the best place for folks to go to keep uh, updated on what's going on. Joe, i got a question that's totally unrelated, and I want to stress unrelated to EHD and what we have going on here in Indiana. Yes, sir. CWD. Yes. <laughs> so what um, – I, I I don't know I don't remember if I asked you this when we were talking on the phone earlier or not but like I was just curious what would be um, I, I know that's something that that every state and I'm sure you have a plan in place if if CWD was to show up in the state of Indiana can you share that information with us and what the state of Indiana and how we would handle CWD if it were to show up in Indiana. So uh, first of all, let's back up because you had asked me at the very start how can you tell the difference between CWD and EHD? Right. And really the only way we can do that is to test. And so what we're looking for in that case are because chronic wasting disease, and that's what CWD is, it is, um, it, it, it's in the deer much longer, like years as opposed to a couple of days. And so then over time, that animal loses its body condition. So what we're looking for are very thin deer that are behaving in a very similar fashion as basically what I described for EHD. And, and those symptoms are actually fairly common in animals. And so if we see uh, uh, a buck that gets a cracked pedestal and it gets a, uh, like a brain infection, 
they will behave that exact same way. And so, but we tend to look for it in that really poor body condition that's indicative of this chronic disease. And so that's kind of how you tell them apart. Uh, interestingly enough, we, are, we have actually been updating our plan and we're working on uh, uh, getting that out right now. And so, you know, essentially, you know, once we um, get a positive, we look at the situation of where it's at, what the habitat's like. You know, a lot of times that's not a very satisfying answer, but in the case of responding to any of these disease outbreak, it really depends on that local situation. Uh, what the size of deer herd is. You know, we have a very different deer herd in northern Indiana than we do in southern Indiana. And so depending upon where that was to show up would ultimately drive the, the response that we would have. What kind of response are we talking? I mean, can you share any of that information? I mean, I know there's I mean, a difference I, depending on, can you give me some examples? And I, And it's just more curiosity and kind of trying to squash some of the rumors that may be out there that, you know, it, a lot of guys think it's just complete doomsday if CWD shows up. And, and I, I just kind of wanted to get, uh, if you could share with what our DNR's uh, perception is or plan of action may be. I mean, is it, um, I mean, you see other states doing things like bringing in snipers and just trying to eradicate the entire herd. And then you see other states that are just kind of more passively trying to uh, deal with it. Right. So, no, I, I really can't say what we would do because we don't have that level of detail because we don't know where it's going to show up. What we would do is look to what other states have done and look to be what's successful in the type of area that, that we've done. So, and just to talk a little bit about what other states have done, it, it really ranges. And so some states are so inundated with it now uh, that because of, you know, either funding or personnel or something like that, all they're doing is monitoring. And so that's one end of the extreme. And then uh, states like Illinois, uh, Illinois uses a very targeted approach where whenever they find a positive, they go into uh, a relatively small area. Think about, you know, something maybe a little bit bigger than a, than a deer's home range. And what they're trying to do are target related animals uh, to that family group to, because those are the ones who are going to be in the most contact with a deer that's, that's come out of a, like a specific area. And they're not trying to uh, eradicate the deer herd or trying to, uh, you know, reduce a population or anything like that. But what they're really doing is taking a targeted approach and keep getting out those animals that are most likely to be effective. And so states that uh, have, are, you know, currently just monitoring, some of their prevalences are, you know, getting up to where CWD is in 50% of their deer. Uh, states like Illinois, who are using this very targeted approach, have been able to keep their prevalence down to uh, like 1% or 2% in their deer. And so there's just a variety of approaches that are out there, but it's, I mean, it really is all going to depend upon 
you know, what we look at, the size of the, you know, the deer herd, the, um, you know, how many deer do we find that are infected? Um, you know, some of these recent states, they, when they have been looking at, uh, when they find CWD and, and then they look, they might find it at like a 10% prevalence or, uh, I think Arkansas, when they found it, it was nearly uh, 23% prevalence. Um, and so, you know, all of those things uh, goes into that decision-making process for the response. Uh, I don't think any states are using that approach where they're just trying to do a generalized reduction of the deer herd anymore. Uh, that was really only tried that first time that they had experience with CWD because remember this is a fairly new disease in the eastern United States and so when it first showed up you know the just that classic disease management is you know to, to try to take a very aggressive uh, stance to try to get it out of the population before it causes a problem and so but you know that was tried it's, it's very difficult to do that and you know most states that are really trying to manage it are, are a lot of them are taking that that very fine scale targeted approach like Illinois is doing. Well, I tell you what, that I'm very satisfied with that answer, and I, I do appreciate the fact that uh, the amount of thought and um, planning that's going into that, and and I appreciate everything that you're doing for the uh, Indiana deer herd, Joe. I know first time when we had you on the show, you were pretty new on the job, and and uh, probably just kind of getting your feet under you. And now it it uh, seems like you've impl implemented a lot of nice, needed changes. And uh, I, I really like where things are going with our deer herd, EHD aside. And, uh, and I think you, you've got a big hand in that and sure do appreciate what you're doing. Great. I uh, appreciate that. No, no, no problem, Joe. And again, uh, thank you for, for clarifying where folks can go to pay attention to the EHD situation this year and if the quotas do change. Uh, hang with us through the break. We'll say our goodbyes. You're listening to Pro Talk Outdoors. Well, big thanks to Joe. Obviously, we, we threw a lot at him and uh, asked some tough questions and uh, admittedly some tough fashion. Uh, I think we really wanted to get to the bottom of some things and and here, for, straight from the source, I mean, it's not uh, just a pawn or uh, just somebody along the line that we talk to there. Joe, is at, he's at the center of this. I mean, he's the guy that's making some decisions, and he's he's reporting in articles. I mean, he's... Um, he's, he's essentially he's in charge of our deer population for the state of Indiana. He's the dude. He is the dude. Obviously, he's got some help and some panels and things, but he's the dude. So... Uh, to take it straight from the horse's mouth there as to what's going on in the state of Indiana, what you can do to keep track of it, uh, potentially some adjustments you should or shouldn't make on your property. And I think the resounding uh, sentiment is keep you know, a good eye on your cameras, keep a good eye when you're in the stand, and make uh, conservation-minded good decisions. And I think that's something that you can pay attention to and adhere to every year, regardless of whether you're experiencing EHD in your area or not. Just make good decisions, guys. Absolutely. And, and do not, do not go to social media for advice or to find fact, because you're not going to find a whole lot of fact. I mean, and I think that's... On the fake book. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I, I was I'm super impressed with Joe and his team with. I really, I've said this many, many times over, that I'm impressed with our Department of Natural Resources. I think they're doing a fantastic job. And, and I think, you know, since Joe's been at the helm with our deer population, just 
he's been doing a great job of managing things and not just managing things, planning forward. Um, got a great plan in place for CWD. I know it's one of those things he couldn't give me a concrete answer, but it, it all depends on And hopefully we don't have area. to worry about it. Yeah, let's hope we don't have to worry about it. But I do feel better after talking to him about, you know, how they would approach that situation. I feel better knowing that it, you know, there's been a lot of thought put into this already. And, and it's, it's a um, – it's kind of an ebb and flow situation. It's something that's constantly evolving. He's constantly looking at the deer population and, and how to react to certain situations. And um, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, it's not gloom and doom. And, and Joe honestly was fairly optimistic that it's not going to damage uh, the herd to the degree that a lot of folks think it will. You know, if there's less deer out there to shoot and they're harder to hunt, there's going to be less harvested. So in the end, he believes the ultimate loss of uh, of the population this year is going to be just a little bit higher than what it normally would, and it'll even out. And also that the fawn recruitment the following year will be a little Response. bit higher. You know, yep. and that, that all goes to carrying capacity of the uh, the particular piece of property that you're on. So And selfishly, this is probably a good opportunity for us to mention, hey, if you've got time and resources, get a good fawn food plot in the ground, uh, something that's got multiple seasons worth of worth. It, you know, if you've got the opportunity, get something that's got turnips in it. The deadly dozen. The deadly dozen. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to provide a, a sustainable a source of food for a long time, especially if you can get, you know, upwards of an acre of it out there. You're really going to get a lot of food out of that. Or, or beans. Lots of leave, tonnage. Lots of tonnage. Leave there. some beans out, you know. do You can make some adjustments to make a difference on that because, you know, January, February, those fawns, uh, they're counting on their mothers to eat a lot. So... Absolutely. It's uh, it's very important. And, you know, in that mineral, uh, you know, I know in the state of Indiana, we can't have that mineral out there and hunt over it or benefit from it on the hunting end of it. But if you have a big enough piece of property that you're hunting, you can designate an area on your property uh, to have that mineral site and just, you know, don't hunt anywhere near it. Don't hunt anywhere close to it whatsoever. But it's good for the deer herd. It really is. 100%. Guys, hope you learned something today. I know we sure sure did. Damn. I couldn't talk right there. <laughs> Done had too many in here, I guess. Until next time, hook 'em or hunt 'em. Pro Talk Outdoors. Later, guys.